UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. Before we get started with today's episode, there is just a bit of housekeeping I want to do. The first thing is to mention that there were a few weeks when there wasn't any episode that was posted. This was because I was away in the US for a few weeks, and although I had some episodes lined up to go out, for whatever reason they just didn't end up doing it. So it means that I've got a bit of a backlog to get through. Um, We might have a few bonus episodes or midweek ones, um, but it's actually quite nice to have a bit of a backlog anyway, um, because I'm currently working on some contract law videos, which you will be able to find on my YouTube website. um, So that should keep that going. The other thing to mention is that I received an email the other day to ask about the podcast being on Spotify. And the reason that it wasn't on Spotify was because originally you had to host the podcast through a certain um, service and then that was the only way to get it onto Spotify. I think that that's changed now and I have submitted the podcast to Spotify for their approval. So hopefully um, by the time you're listening to this particular episode, you should actually be able to get it on Spotify. And I know that a lot of people listen to their podcasts through Spotify now, um, so that's at least an option for you. Um, Right, with that in mind, let's get on with this particular episode, which is Cape Intermediate Holdings Limited and Dring. The citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 38. So instead of dealing with a private law case or a review of a government decision this week, we are actually exploring the internal rules that apply to the courts themselves. In particular, we will be looking at Rule 5.4c, of the civil procedure rules that govern how an individual who is not actually a party to a given case can get access to things such as statements of case, judgments and orders that exist in the public domain. Furthermore, this particular rule goes on to say that if a non-party to a case can get permission from the court, then it is possible for them to, quote, obtain from the records of the court a copy of any other document filed by a party or communication between the court and a party or another person, end quote. The practical origins of this particular case relate to asbestos. Cape Intermediate Holdings have previously been involved in the manufacture and supply of asbestos, and because of this they were originally the defendants in a separate claim brought by employers' insurers. As you can imagine, a lot of interesting paperwork and documentation was presented to the court during the trial, which was of significant interest to the people who had actually become ill as a result of exposure to asbestos, even though they weren't a party to this specific case. Thus, before judgment was handed down in that original case, the Asbestos Victim Support Groups Forum UK applied under Rule 5.4c for all of the information used at the trial, including documents, trial bundles and transcripts, to be made available. Graham Dring is the chair of the forum, and also the respondent in this present case, wherein CAPE are resisting the full disclosure of the information. At first, Dring was successful, but in an appeal to the Court of Appeal, the disclosure was limited to, firstly, statements of case that were held by the court, secondly, witness statements, expert reports, and written submissions provided by CAPE, and thirdly, it was held by the court that any further disclosures beyond this would have to first go before the original trial judge, or if they weren't available, a different High Court judge, who would allow for disclosure if the documents in question had either lost confidentiality, already been read out in court by the judge, or if it was in the interests of open justice, 
for Dring and the Forum to have access to those papers. Neither side was especially happy about this compromise permission, and so while Cape appealed to the Supreme Court on the basis that disclosure should be limited to only the statements of case with strict limits on the release of anything else, there was also a cross-appeal from the Forum because of the limitations that had been imposed by the Court of Appeal. With the exact understanding of Rule 5.4c of the Civil Procedure Rules still not 100% clear, the case went to the Supreme Court for a final decision on the matter, and that is where we pick things up. The most interesting aspect of this judgement was right at the start where the justices had to decide what it means for something to be a record of the court. On the one hand, a very literal interpretation could be applied, so that it simply means a document held by the court for its own purpose. This would include things like the claim form and the judgement, but would exclude a wide range of other documents that might have been submitted to the court, but have not been kept as part of the record. Such a definition might well be accurate, but it could hardly be considered useful, and so instead the justices of the Supreme Court decided that a record of the court should be more purposive, and therefore conform to the ideas and principle of open justice. The principle operates right across the justice system, and is important because not only does it mean that the system can be held to account, but it is also educational insofar as it helps inform the public about how judgments are reached. In cases where so much is submitted in writing, this can be difficult and therefore access to documentation is an important element of open justice. The starting point should be that an applicant has a right to the range of written material including not only submissions by the parties such as skeleton arguments, but also to documents that have been placed before the court whether the judgment has actually read them out or not. Of course this is not some universal or unlimited right and it will be subject to restrictions. An individual who is not actually a part of the case will be expected to explain in their application why they want access and how that access will further the principle of open justice. It is then the job of the courts to consider this in the light of other factors that mitigate against the principle of open justice, such as another person's right to privacy, the needs of national security, or even commercial confidentiality. When coming to this assessment, the rules of court are a valuable starting point, but they cannot be the be-all and end-all when it comes to a decision that, by its nature, relies on proportionality. So with that in mind, what should the decision in this case be? Well, as we have just noted, the basis for the order of the court is not really Rule 5.4c, which was heralded earlier on as the centrepiece of proceedings. Instead, the order that was made by the Court of Appeal can find its authority in the principle of open justice itself, and so the order it has already made can stand. Meanwhile, the other requests for access will be returned to the judge who heard the original case, and they will be expected to come to a decision based on the principles of proportionality that the Supreme Court has laid down in this case. Overall then, in this judgement, the justices have taken a clear step away from the arguments made by the parties. Whereas they focused on the rather more concrete stipulations set out in Rule 5.4c of the Civil Procedure Rules, the Supreme Court instead looked to the much broader principle of open justice. The question for us is whether they were right to do this. In general, the law and the rules that are laid down are important. 
If we were entirely dependent on broad sweeping principles alone, then it would lead to great uncertainty. Things like the civil procedure rules offer an anchor, especially in a common law system. On the other hand, being completely beholden to the rules can mean that you lose sight of these constitutional principles that do ultimately guide the way that the country is run. With that in mind, I think that the justices generally got the balance right here. The principle of open justice demands that as a starting point, documents and information should be made available to the public. There are obvious reasons why this should not be an absolute right of access, such as national security, etc. But that is where the rules come in and help to provide more specific structure. Ultimately, the question does become one of proportionality between open justice and protecting named rights and interests, with the default position always favouring public access. The Balancing Act is not always an easy one, and indeed in a case like this, there may be some genuine commercial interests that require protecting. However, the point is that it is for the courts to make that decision. There may be some debate about whether the same judge who hears the substantive case should also be making a decision about open access, but it's not like they themselves are impacted by the outcome, and in fact because they know the case better than any other judge, they are actually best placed to make an assessment as well. In the end, the principle of open justice offers its own consistency, and it is then through both the court rules and precedent that the boundaries are drawn. The advantage of this approach is that the courts do not become hamstrung by strict rules and can adapt the levels of accessibility over time. Access to information and open justice are not just a fundamental part of the British constitution, but also any functioning Western democracy. And in this case, the Supreme Court have made clear that they will not permit this to be undermined. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Remember, if you do get a chance to leave a rating and a review, either on iTunes or any of the other services that you use to get your podcast, then that is always very much appreciated. Latest reviews come from Roberto Reviews, who gave five stars, as well as from JD's Lackey, who also gave five stars. So thank you very much. That really means a lot and helps to keep the podcast popular and amongst the sort of top rated legal podcasts in the UK. Also remember, as I said at the start, I'm currently working on some contract law videos. By the time you hear this, some of them may already be uploaded. That's going to be my main focus across this academic year on YouTube. So if you are studying contract law this year, then do make sure to check those out. That's on youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!